The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections. Hey, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of Full Exposure with me, your boy, Brian, here on the Full Exposure Podcast. And it's good to be podcasting. It's good to be in this chair talking to you guys about a guest I'm very excited about. And I want to tell you a little backstory to Governor Slugwell. Governor Slugwell is, you can't even argue this point, he is the godfather of hip-hop in the Grand Rapids community. And uh, I met him nearly a decade ago to the month, 10 years ago in February. I met him for the first time. I was doing a photo shoot. There was a feature article about Governor Slugwell. I got the assignment. I didn't even know who he was. I had never heard of this organization that he had just founded called the Grand Rapids Hip Hop Coalition, which is an amazing organization that, that mentors young people in Grand Rapids uh, that want to get into the music industry and specifically hip-hop. And there's a lot more than just helping people record music that uh, the Hip-Hop Coalition is um, involved with. It's about the values of hip-hop and sort of the underpinnings of everything that's positive about hip-hop. And Governor Slugwell credits uh, hip-hop music at an early point in his life in the 80s for literally saving his life uh, from going an entirely different direction. And he clung to the most positive platforms of hip-hop. And um, we talk about that a lot in this episode. And uh, so I met him, did a photo shoot, uh, and never literally saw him again, which is so unusual in Grand Rapids, Michigan, because most of the time, you know how it is, when you meet somebody for the first time and finally meet somebody... Doesn't it seem like for the next year, you just bump into them all the time and you see them all the time? And that didn't happen for 10 years. Uh, Governor Slugowell and I never were physically in the same room. I followed his career. I followed things that I popped up in the news about him and and the hip hop coalition, but I never really had an opportunity to be in the same room with him until he came to the studio to record the podcast. So... It was great to reconnect. It it talks about the power of photography, just being in a long career where I'm able to sort of wind my way through the community, just doing my job of taking portraits and coming back. And then all of a sudden, a decade later, you're presented with this man who's um, a legend in Grand Rapids, and you can really sit down and, uh, and really get into some good stuff. In fact, we got into so much good stuff that we... Uh, for the very first time for this podcast, we're splitting this interview into two episodes. This is episode one of two and uh, with Governor Slugwell. This first episode really talks about uh, hip-hop in the 80s in Grand Rapids, how he came up, how he was formed and shaped and saved by hip-hop music, um, how he made his way around the Midwest touring, and uh, eventually part of that uh, time, that era of his life, uh, is, is this is incredible, and I'm not going to give you too much information about it, but part of his career in the 80s, there's an, ar- there's an artifact from that period that actually is inside the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. So that's all I need to tell you. This guy is uh, 
Governor Slugwell is somebody who's just incredible and has had an incredible career. The second episode is really going to focus more on the, the film that he's involved with, this documentary, which I'll talk about in the next episode with Governor Slugwell in more detail, but it's basically a documentary about this book that's made some waves the last couple of years around Grand Rapids, and it's a book uh, called A City Within a City, and it deals with the civil rights movement in Grand Rapids and documents a whole bunch of things um, that happened in the 60s and 70s uh, during the civil rights movement. Um, its conclusions are more pertinent than ever, more important than ever for us to look at, and that's why I was so pleased to have Governor Slugwell on, uh, not only to talk about his early development in hip-hop and in the music industry, but also to ask him why he's involved with this documentary. And it's in its early pre-production phases, but it's going to go. And I couldn't be more excited about how uh, he and his team are going to interpret this amazing book um, called A City Within a City and uh, and how it's going to transform to a, a documentary format. So, well, welcome to part one of two episodes with Governor Slugwell. Let's explore the bigger picture with hip-hop artist, mentor, community leader, Governor Slugwell. Governor Slugwell, how did... Well, first, I just want to set for the audience is just that we met first time i'm trying to remember it was a photo shoot for rapidgrowthmedia.com rapidgrowth.com yeah. anyway i was the photographer for that they were doing a profile about you Correct. and the hip-hop coalition and kind of the, your efforts around fostering uh a, a different narrative around hip-hop but also being kind of this father figure sort of a godfather of hip-hop and rap in grand rapids you were like the point dude but how did Governor Slugwell, that, that moniker, come to you? Because your real name's Victor, right? Victor Williams. Yeah. That's what my mother named me. All right. <laughs> um, I started out, um, you know, so that's, that's my hip-hop moniker. I call it my family name. Um, you know, hip-hop is actually the family name. Yeah. Um, but I started out in the 80s being called MC Spice. Really? Or Spicy V. Right, so this is I'm getting, I'm letting you in on some real jewels right All now. All right, like, nobody MC knows Spice. that unless they like. I know how people know me uh, by which name they call me. So if someone comes up to me and they say, "Oh, Spice," I'm like, "Okay, that's somebody that really knows me." Like you know, from way back. <laughs> from way back, if they call me Spice, I'm gonna remember that Spicy V. I'm like, okay, they've been knowing me since. I was a teenager. Next time I see you, yeah. you're going to forget you told me this, and I'll be like, hey, Spice. And you'll be like, what? What? Like, Brian's, oh. Brian, Brian and I go way back. It must be the North U Creston connection. <laughs> so uh, that was my name for a long time, and then, it, but it just got to a point where once the 90s rolled around, like, yeah, that's kind of old school. Like, you know, I need to step into the next millennium. Um, and so I was coming up with names, and I just like to take inspiration from books or, you know, music or movies or whatever. And I came up with this long list. I just scouring, looking at names and different stuff. And I came up with a long list of potential names. And um, for some reason, that one just stood out to me. Yeah. I, I shared them with some friends, and they were like, 
that's you. You know, like Governor Slugwell like says you. It fits you, like fits your personality. I'm like, yeah, but I'm gonna let you in another jewel. All right. This I'm is, leaning uh, in. This is a, a first. I actually got the name. It's a Frank Zappa. Uh are you familiar with um Lord Buckley? I know the name, but I don't know the history of that he's character. A, he's a Frank Zappa protege. Um, and he had he had these like comical albums uh, where he would speak in this uh, he would just he spoke in this English accent and he would do, <laughs> do these routines about English royalty and making fun of them and stuff. And, oh yeah. And, and Governor Slugwell was one of the skits, <laughs> and I love I, I love the skit. It was hilarious, and I used to listen to it all the time. And I like I like I love the skit. I like the name, so I just wrote it down. That was. So coming up, I mean, that'll just dovetail because I'm curious about how the Frank Zappa in the '80s were you were you into all kinds of different music and and if if music in some way derailed you in in a way around pursuing a college education. Sorry, I don't know how that's coming through. Um, How uh, you know how 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 eclectic was your music taste coming up? Very, uh, as an authentic hip hopper, man, my appreciation of music is vast. You have to listen and appreciate and love everything. So my collection was funk, rock, jazz, folk, ragtime, reggae, everything, gospel, you know, to comedy albums, to cartoon albums, like you, you, because you're, you constantly looking for sources of inspiration everywhere, yeah. you know, and things to mix in with your music yeah. just to make the most unique original um, sound beds that you can. So you're listening to yeah. find inspiration from everywhere. So my collections would, my album collection is everything. Like Yeah. Well, and like a sampling. So when did you really start to kind of record and try to lay down your own tracks and stuff? Were you still in high school? Yeah. 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 I was in high school. Um, so I would, I was just telling somebody this story last night, but it was a while. I was in middle school when I started. I used to write poetry, um, elementary, middle school. And then a friend of mine uh, encouraged me to rap. He's like, oh, you should, like, girls like rappers. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> right? Check. Like, yeah, because, dude, you're kind of corny, and girls are following you up and down the halls. We're at Riverside Middle School. and uh, <laughs> You put it on him as corny, but he still had girls? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they like him because he raps. Like, okay, I'm going to try it, you know? And I, I tried my hand at writing a rap, and I came back to school and showed him. Um, over the weekend, I wrote, and I came back Monday and showed him the rap, and he said, let me hold on to this. Okay, you know, I didn't see him no more for the rest of the week, but I kept hearing people coming up to me like, hey, did you hear this rap that such and such said? And I'm like, after I heard about four or five people say it, I'm like, what did he say? You know, I want to hear what this rap, and they repeated it back to me, and it was my rap. I'm like, he's biting my rap, like this is my first rap. I'm like, okay, I must be pretty good, because this dude's like the king of the school at rapping, and he's biting my stuff. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to keep on doing this, but... I never let anybody know. Yeah, uh, I just kept it to myself. My mom would hear me in my room, and I just kept it to myself. Um, and then, 
summer of 1986, I took a trip to my mom allowed me with some of my best friends to take a trip to Boston. And I got to Boston and, you know, everybody spoke with this East Coast accent. Yeah. Sounded right. way cool, like they rapped and they sound like LL Cool J. And it was like, whoa, like they sound right. dope. And um, I got invited out to a cypher. It's oh, my yeah. first cypher. And I'm just listening, but my friends knew I could rap. They're like, rap, right. rap, like let so them you hear your stuff. On, you know? Did you put on the cypher then? Did you go up? Yeah, they like put me on the spot. They're like, yeah. yo, like he can rap. They're like yeah. pushing me up. And so... I'm like thinking, I'm like, okay, they just pushing me up because they want me to get dissed in front of, <laughs> in front of these right. people. They want me to, yeah. you know, but I got up and I rapped and they were amazed. They were like, oh my God, like, dude, you got skills. Like, you nice, like this kid. And I'm like, whoa, like I'm nice. getting props on the East Coast. Like, I'm nice, yeah. you know what I'm yeah. saying? And so it was about a week or two later, I'm back home. And there was the Run DMC Raising Hell tour mm-hmm. uh, downtown at Civic Auditorium. And that was my first real hip-hop show. Uh, I'd seen, like, the Fat Boys and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but, like, this one was Run DMC, LL Cool J, Houdini, yeah. the Beastie Boys. It was like... yeah. The tour, yeah. The, the, well, look, maybe not at the time, but you look back, like they're all probably like rock and roll hall. Of yeah, they're all icons. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like the tour, like the entire tour was icons except for the opening act, which was a uh, Timex Social Club. <laughs> <laughs> but everybody else on the bill was like, yeah, the, the who, who, the cream of the crop. Yeah. Um, and so I went to that show, and it just impacted me like. And I was with a group of friends who, once again, they didn't even know I rapped. And the spirit just hit me, and the words came out of my mouth. I said, a year from now, I'm going to be on stage with those guys. And they all just looked at me and laughed. Right, right. <laughs> right? It's like, dude, that's hilarious. Like, where you, you right. don't even rap. But you were like, you don't understand. I just came from Boston. <laughs> I said I was nice. Right. I, I didn't get booed off the stage at the Cypher. Right. No, like the Cypher, it was the street corner Cypher. Oh, yeah. So it was like under the street lights, guys got 40 ounces. Sure. And, you know, like, it was like a grimy scene. Like, okay, we're, we're, we're doing it for real, you know? Like, and um, so I, I, I made that statement, not even... It didn't come from a place of arrogance or ego or because I... It was aspiration. It was just like, when it came out, like, I just said it, but I'd never been in a recording studio, never had my own beat or right. anything like that. I was writing over other people's instrumentals. And I just started rehearsing every day after that, rehearsing. Me and my DJ, we go... I go to his house every day, and we just practice, 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 practice. And over the course of the year, we're making steps. Okay, let's go in the studio. Okay, let's, we got now, we got a little three, four song demo, you know, maybe six months later. Uh, people start hearing my demo. I'm letting people, friends hear my demo. They're like, oh, it's pretty good. Then uh, uh, one of the step parents of one of my friends heard and said, I got a friend that's in the music business. Maybe I should let him hear your stuff, you know? Yeah. And this guy was over in Detroit. I'm like, okay. And he lets him hear it. And he's like, it turns out that he was a music, he was in the music business. He was a manager. 
And so he brought us over, like, I want to manage you, you know? Okay. Nice. <laughs> so we signed a management contract with him, and things just start picking up. Next thing you know, um, we're, we're meeting with, like, all of these powerful people. Like, everybody's coming through Detroit, you know, all the mu- music people, industry mm-hmm. that's coming through Detroit. Um, he's having meetings with, and everybody's, like, really interested in music. Then he put our song on the radio for a bump it or stump it. Mm. Um, oh, yeah. You know, yeah, so it was on the radio, W uh, GPR in Detroit, I believe it was, and they had, like, a bump it or stump it, and we won. No way. Right? Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> so we won the contest, and... Next thing you know, we're getting a call from the promoter of the Run DMC Raising Hell Tour. Get out of here. Run DMC is coming to the Hill Auditorium, and we <laughs> want you to open up. No way. Absolutely. And that was within the year you were it talking was, about? It was like literally a little over <laughs> We heard about it. We got the opportunity within the year. But the show, so the Run DMC show in Grand Rapids was August 6, 1986. We did our show at Run DMC November 1987. No way. Yeah, at the Hill Auditorium. It was November 12, 1987. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so it was like, oh, oh my man. God, how did that happen? Like, how did that, I mean, and, like, the posters came out, and it was Run DMC, and yeah. the name of my group was New Concept, and we were only two names on the poster. No way. Yeah, it's like. So and they like, were they were the biggest at the time. Yeah, they're the biggest artists they, in the world. They had already probably done that Aerosmith collab. Yeah, and yeah, they were super they, hot. Yeah, they, they were, were the biggest everything. thing on the planet at yeah. the time. But secret, secret uh, suburban white kid. Uh, uh, I'll share. You know, you've been sharing some some things. I I loved Houdini. I loved uh, Run DMC. I loved the Beastie Boys. Actually, I didn't love the Beastie Boys till later, like in the 2000s. Oh, then, and it was like Fight for Your Right and all that. It was like just kind of, I didn't understand what they were doing until maybe four or five albums in. And I was okay. like, oh, okay, these guys are legit. Because I just looked at them as these Jewish white kids imitating, you know, LL and just, you yeah. know, like, but I didn't understand what they brought later. But Houdini, which uh, I forget the guy's name who just passed, but. Uh, uh, ecstasy. Yeah. And. His vocal quality was unbelievable, and but coming out of that, uh, so I always had I, I I always joke that, and this is by no it's a joke. Trust me, is uh, I was born in Royal Oak, right, uh-huh. just north of Detroit, and but I always liked R and B. I always liked uh, you know pop R&B and I liked all that and I still that's mostly what I listen to I don't listen to a lot of like current hip hop or rap necessarily but I love like old funk and old R&B but I used to say I have Motown in my I was born in Motown so right. that must be why I'm like, and it's like Royal Oak isn't that Motown you know? it's like a suburb and then uh, the other part of it is we moved to Grand Rapids when I was like 11 months old 12 months oh, yeah, so it's like pity. <laughs> I got no claim to Motown but right. it's like oh my birth certificate says Royal Oak so I'm the east side but um, but as you developed your career then uh, the other thing I'm curious about and I don't want to jump around I uh, will have to jump around a little bit because there's so much I want to get to in terms of setting the, your background but you had mentioned in interviews in the past about how uh, music really saved your life at a time, and um, 
And I'm just wondering, like, what were you encountering in those days? You're a young father, but also uh, you're just exploring the world and also having some success in the music business. Like, how, how did music help to save you? Well, it was even before all of that stuff happened, right? Like, um, so you mentioned Houdini, um, Back in Black album. Like when I, I when I make the reference of hip hop saving my life, that album is like the first visual that comes to mind. Wow! Uh, it was so powerful. It was raising me until I was like into my twenties. Like you know, what I'm saying like yeah. there, there were references and things that they were saying that they were talking about that I had no idea about in '86 or '87. I couldn't yeah. relate. And then I remember specifically being the age of 22. And one of their lyrics just exploding in my mind. I call it a rhyme grenade. Yeah. It's like they planted it there and it just blew up. Like I'm like, oh, that's what they were talking about. I get it now. Sure. Like it was right on time. Like I needed that jewel at yeah. that moment in my life. But there's been proverbs all throughout hip hop, you know, since I've been listening to Run DMC, mm-hmm. you know, that still helped me in my life to this day as a married man, as a father. Uh, you know, when, when Run says on the song, Sucker MC, right? He says, you're Sucker MC, you're cheating on your wife. You're walking around town like a hoodlum with a knife. You're hanging on the ave and chilling with the crew. Now everybody knows what you've been through. So that's what it is. He yeah. laid out for you what it is to be a Sucker MC. No hip-hopper wants to be a sucker <laughs> MC. Yeah. So this is coming from Run. He's laid this proverb out from you. You can't, you can't cheat on your wife. You're not a thug running around with right. a knife. You're not hanging on the ad with the crew like you just lost for time, like you got nothing else to do. Yeah. Like, so it's like, oh, I cannot be that. Right. That whole narrative that he described right. is the opposite of what I want to be. So when I saw my friends doing that, you know, compiled with Rock him coming along and saying, selling drugs is for handicaps. I got too many skills besides busting rough raps. Yeah. You know, not to right. be derogative, the term yeah. handicap. Sure. Um, but that line right there, like, oh, like, you know, you take that. I mean, there's so many examples of things right. that, you know, without a father in the home, my big brother was in penitentiary. I was looking for guidance, and yeah. it, it wasn't coming from anywhere but music, hip hop music. Yeah, um, and these guys were raising me, literally, yeah. um, keep you know keeping me. It was the influence of Rock Kim that kept me from selling drugs when I saw my friends skipping out at lunchtime, yeah. hopping in the car with the dope dealer sure. and the girls, and they're coming to school with brand new shoes every day and pocket. I mean, I'm talking about like. 14, 15 year old kids with thousands of dollars in their pockets. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like. Well, that temptation is there all the time, but when you hear your heroes saying that that's not the life for them, right. it, I'm assuming, kept you, kept pulling you forward through what you could have been stuck in. You yeah, know, just absolutely. Because it, it would have been so easy for me to. Yeah. To walk that line. It's a low-hanging fruit. The hard thing is to go be successful absolutely. at your art. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. absolutely. Because at the time, at the time, it was like hip-hop was a joke. It was yeah. like, what right. are you, serious? Like, we're going to go get this money. Like, right. you're doing this fake yeah. rap stuff. It was like... Especially in Grand Rapids, because no one had come out of that 
necessarily you could say, oh, I can do this. I'm from Grand Rapids. This person is too, or that act came from there. I mean, there was a few like yeah. DeBarges and well, Al Green, and there was some legacy of music here, here. Here's the thing. like, So I grew up in the same neighborhood with DeBarge, went to school with the younger siblings. Um, and that trip to Boston that I talked about, Yeah, that it really was a, a motivational, life-changing trip because to me, like I grew up in a neighborhood that was musically rich. Um, I took it for granted, really, because there's an alley behind my house, and every other garage, there was a band, mm-hmm. right? Like, guys used to walk up and down the street in the summertime, no shirt on, bass guitar playing. Sure. Real low, strap real long, yeah. played down by your ankles like Metallica style. Like yeah. I mean, so I grew up in this environment, and the barges, I could throw a rock to their house for mine. Sure. You know, like, but the whole neighborhood, and I didn't think it was really a thing. Like, there was always people involved in, in Big Man's Parliament Funkadelic. I thought that was a local thing because there was Grand Rapids people involved. Hmm. Um, you know, so I didn't, I took this trip and I went in this little girl's bedroom. I wasn't going into Time out. Pause. But, <laughs> Pause. <laughs> but this girl invited me in her bedroom out there. And I walk in, and the first thing I saw on the wall was a DeBarge poster. And it was like, I was like, where'd you get this poster? And why is there a poster of my neighbor? Yeah, why is there a poster (laughs) of my neighbors on your wall? And she's like, what do you mean? Like, I'm like, where did you get this? It made no sense to me. Like, where did you get this at? And she's like, out of Write On Magazine. I'm like... I was just in class with him, you know, like a month ago. Like, how did this happen? Like, right. you know, um, and I just, oh my God, like, you know, their music, like, they're famous, like, like that. Yeah, I didn't get it. I just thought wow. it was Grand Rabbits. It was local. Sure. Yeah. And um, that just really opened my mind up. And then when I came back home, <clears throat> who the person that really inspired me to say, like, Oh, like you can go to the next level with rap is Robert S. Oh yeah. Uh and when he got his record deal with Epic, and my mom was like, Is this the stuff that you do in your bedroom? <laughs> you know, like right, right. you're doing this stuff and like you can get a he got a record deal with the same like record label as Michael Jackson. Like yeah. so you can do it. And I'm like, oh man, like people do it singing and playing instruments and stuff, but I can do it rapping. Okay. Yeah. Like, all right, that's now I'm that, off. yeah, that's a goal. Like, I, yeah. I want to do that. Well, especially if you have a little push from your mom too. It's like a little bit of a. It's kind of like what we were talking about before with the. Not putting too much pressure on a kid to. You have to go to college and get a degree and all that stuff. Yeah. It's just a little bit of freedom to pursue. Yeah. Because they saw something was possible without a normal trajectory. Right. But, but also recognizing your talent. Yeah, because I, I would, like, literally, I'd come home, you know, and I'd go in my bedroom and by myself, close my door, and she, I'd be in there for hours. And she, you know, it just got to a point where I'd wake up, she thought something was wrong with me, because <laughs> I'd wake up in the middle of the night, three, four in the morning, rapping in my sleep, and she'd be like, you're too far gone with this stuff. <laughs> like, you're dreaming about it. It's yeah. like just... In your sleep, you're rapping in your sleep, you know? So, yeah, when she saw Robert got his record, I'll never forget the day um, I was on a school bus uh, coming home from Riverside, and the radio was on, and they were saying, 
announcing Robert S. We're going to debut his new record. He signed with Epic Records like it's a really big deal. It was on WKWM. Lee, Lee Kadena mm-hmm. was announcing it. And nobody on the school bus was really excited, but I was trying to hear, like, and just so happened the school bus stopped and let us off before they got to play the record. And so I just made a mad dash home, like, I'm running for my life trying to get home so I can catch this radio, right? And I'm running down the block, and my mom's looking out the door, looking for me like, they're about to play that record on the radio. I know you want, you know, and she's got it tuned in. I run the house, and everybody in my house is, like, tuned in, listening. Like, we know you want to hear this, you know? Yeah. And so it was a big deal, and I was like, okay, like, this is... yeah. I got, this is what I want to do. You mentioned WKWM. I'll tell you another thing. is that Maybe it's a normal thing, but I just remember that someone told me that WKWM, and this is back when I was in high school or whatever, and I would, sometimes you'd listen to that. I'd find it on the channel. I'd like what I'd hear, so I'd mm-hmm. play it. It was like uh, WKWM is We Kill White Men. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Had you ever heard that? Never. So that was some like oh, like dumb little racist, racist plant, you know, that somebody said is because it's black music. Oh, that's absolutely and black hilarious. music stage. That WKWM is We Kill White Men. I was like, what? No, they won't. They just playing their music, you know? That is so funny. That is hilarious. Yeah. I I don't know where I heard that. I never forgot it. I didn't come up with it. And then I don't even remember who told me that. They're like, you know what that stands for, right? I was like, no, what what does WKWM stand for? Uh, we kill white men. I was like, that no, come on. It's hilarious. Isn't that funny? It's funny. Man. It's I'm relieved to know that it's not part of the, the larger, <laughs> you know, community where that was like, oh yeah, that's true. That's where that comes from. Anyway. That's hilarious. I'm in a safe space. So. When I do when I did um uh, finally get my record, I had a chance to visit KWM. They were way like out in the woods, like past here somewhere, like way out in the like, where am I going? It was some little shack in the woods. So I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Uh, t- so then connect the dots to how then, because there's a couple things I want to get to. One is just how you've become with uh, the Hip Hop Coalition, how that formed out of your career. And I don't want to jump over anything, too, because I'm learning so much about you. But... And then uh, we want to talk about your, um, you know, your film project and how that got started, and that'll ignite some other conversations that we can yeah. have uh, yeah. why it's even becoming a thing. But uh, so, oh, then did you end up? Uh, sorry, let's get back on track. So, did you, you had a you had management? Did you get a recording contract and some things like that going? Yeah, to? yeah, we got a recording con. Um, so there's. Uh, producer Motown uh, Funk brother Paul Reiser um, He had a label uh, Called Lake Records And he had distribution Through Atlantic And um, my manager Took us to his house And introduced us to him And you know I, They'd already had These conversations And, and they signed us uh, to, a, to a deal And um, we put the record out And we were I was touring for like my uh, junior and senior year of high school. I don't know how I played football or right. how how I uh, <laughs> managed to graduate right. because we were doing like two shows a week, all the you know all the time, like 
for like touring around the country or just around like around the Midwest. Midwest? Like, yeah, 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 we would do like all of the big shows sure. that came throughout the Midwest. Yeah, um, you know, they call. Oh, we need you down in Cleveland. Sure. We need you in yeah. Chicago. We need you yeah. in Indy. We were driving. Yeah, sure. Um, apart that little IROC, and yeah. we we pack <laughs> well, up. The IROC, sweet. Yeah, we pack up in if the IROC. If you had an IROC, uh, that yeah. and the Trans Am was in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those were the we we pack up, but it was three of us, so we pack up tight in, in the, the IROC and hit the road. Yeah, <laughs> whoever got the back seat wasn't happy because oh, there was no goodness. leg room back there <laughs> at all. Absolutely. Um, uh, oh, sorry, I interrupted you, but just uh, so you were touring. Uh, oh, I wanted to ask you what football position you played. I played running back and middle linebacker. Okay. Yeah. All right. Same. Same. I was middle, uh, middle linebacker and a fullback. Okay, sweet. There it is. They go hand in hand. We're already uh, same person. So uh, <laughs> no. Uh, okay, so during that time, you're you're doing all this while you're in high school. Before while, you even graduate I'm, from high school. Yeah, while I'm in high school. Um, so yeah, like I said, I don't even know how I <laughs> graduated. Thing. I had a lot of support though in the school yeah. uh, from counselors and teachers and principal. And they saw something uh, in what you. Yeah, were doing. they they knew like okay, this kid's got a record deal. He's yeah. he's touring he's yeah. the captain of the football yeah. team like he's he's yeah. a rock star around yeah. here so making sure we're, he can pass the history test yeah, isn't yeah. number one on, the, <laughs> on gonna, the list at the moment we're gonna support him and, you know it's like it's not a big deal if you miss a couple of days of practice just be here for the game yeah. on friday you know sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. friday seven o'clock we take the field you make no, sure i used back. to no i used to have to be at the school before lunch Oh. That was the thing. If you report after lunch, you can't play. So you have to be here Friday before lunch. <laughs> and I would have, like, my my band, my group would drop me off off the road at school. Like, dump literally. in front. Yeah, just dump me out. Like, <laughs> been sleeping in the car all night. Get in school. We'll see you tonight at the football game or whatever. Wow. It was, yeah, that was, like, my life for, like, two years. It was crazy. And uh, so, yeah, man. We uh, did that, and um, that show that we did it was monumental. That sh- that first show we run the MC because um, we killed it. Yeah, we killed it, and uh, like the poster from that show is in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Is it real? Yeah, yeah, and um, there's an interview that Run did with Kurt Loder on MTV where. Uh, they were doing the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame installation for Run DMC back in like ninety two, ninety three, and he asked him, "What you know? What's up with this poster? Because every item is hand picked, sure by the act, right? um, by the act." And he's going through asking them why certain items. And they got to the poster. He said, "What's the story behind this poster? I would have thought you had your um, Times Square show where everybody yeah. held up their Adidas." And he's like, "Yeah, we would have chosen that one, but." We couldn't find any. All the kids ripped them down, took them home. We couldn't find any. He said, but this show, um, I chose it because it was a pivotal point in his career. He thought he reached, you know, a pinnacle where he could get no better. But then there's a new group that came on stage and kicked their ass. And he's like, you guys. And that was us. And he's like, that made him go back, re-energize him and made him go back and write the songs Run's House and Beats to the Rhyme. And he wrote those songs in Detroit, like oh, I, right after really? our show. Like he went back and wrote yeah, those like, songs gotta, in the I hotel. Sharpen, yeah. sharpen the tools again. <laughs> he went back and wrote those songs in the hotel, like right after that show. Like, wow. 
And so it's like, wow, okay, that's I inspired my hero to write so some your, of my favorite your music. So your old group is on the poster on the Run DMC in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Yes, sir. That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing. Um, so then let's jump forward uh, a little bit. So you're still, you never left Grand Rapids, right? Uh, uh, not until the late 90s. Uh, the late 90s, I, I went to New York um, writing. Um, I, was, I started writing. A friend of mine, a couple of friends of mine, who were one of you know, younger guys um, who I actually pushed to go to New York. Um, I'm like, you got to get out of here. Go, you know, just, yeah, just go. Just go to New York. You know, I'll be here to support you or whatever. And um, they got out to New York, and they're doing auditions and stuff like that, and um, they needed some material. Um, I don't remember exactly how this happened, but <laughs> and we wrote some stuff beforehand. I think we might have wrote some stuff beforehand, and they got out there. Yeah, that's what happened. And they got out there, and they were auditioning, and people were like, we really like the material. And um, they ended up getting record deals, right? They ended up getting signed, and people were like, we like the material. Like, who wrote these songs? Yeah. And you're like, oh, my friend Vic. <laughs> right. So it's like, okay. Well, Spice wrote those. Yeah, Spice wrote those, <laughs> right. Um, so we need, okay, we need Spice to come out here. And yeah. uh, so then that's how that happened, and the... From 97 to 2000, um, being in New York, you know, a lot of time, um, yeah. writing, being a songwriter, being an A&R, mm-hmm. um, and um, yeah, just it was, these guys. One guy's name is Terrence Banks, the other guy is Tori Carter. Tori was the first artist to sign to Missy Lake Elliott's Goldmine label. Oh, really? Yeah, and uh, so spent a lot of time working with, with those cats out there and just doing R&B, which took me out of my zone, out of my comfort yeah. zone, out of my lane from what it is that I do. And so I always tell people as well, that was the first time in my life that I was not tapped into hip-hop culture. Mm-hmm. And I was in New York, yeah, which was the weirdest thing. I was in the industry like I was... In the studio every day, radio stations, like you're doing this whole industry thing. Yeah. But it was not tapped into the culture whatsoever. Um, and um, Well, it's harder to recognize, too, especially if you're an A&R. Uh, you know, you're supposed to be tapped into that. You know what I mean? Like, you're supposed to know what's happening. It, it was really wild because this is at the time of the first time that there was a real underground assurgence happening in hip hip hop. Um that was the time when the uh, Raucous Records was birthed and uh Black Star and Talib Kweli and Most Def mm-hmm. and MF Doom came, yeah. you know, came back and all of this stuff was happening in the underground in New York City and I was not privy to it because I was yeah. in the in, corporate world. I, yeah, I was living in the shiny suit era, like <laughs> running around with Puff Daddy and sure, Missy sure. Elliott and yeah. all of these cats while this whole underground thing was happening. Yeah. And I and I didn't learn about that till I got back to Grand Rapids, and I came back to Grand Rapids, and I went to um, what used to be Vinyl Solution, but yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. uh, Vertigo now on yeah. Division. And DJ Dub was working there. I don't know if you ever met DJ Dub. I don't think so. DJ Dub was working there. DJ Dub is uh, now he's uh, out in DC, but he has a music uh, choice uh, channel show that he does, um, and he was playing. I heard this music. And I'm like, what is this? Because I knew 
all of the elements in the song that were playing, I knew, I recognized every. I'm like, what, yeah. is, what is this? Um, and he's like, oh, this is uh, M.M. Food. You don't know this? And I'm like, okay, no, I never heard it. Like, right. But I, he just put me on to all, like this whole raucous movement that was happening. I'm like, I missed all of this? Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, right. oh, my goodness. Uh, like, what's happening locally, you know? Right. And uh, I, 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 every time I would come back home, I would go to, it was a store called... Um, uh, the Beat Hut or something like that. Uh, I forgot the name of the song yeah. store. It was right on Burton Street, and I would go there and ask like any new local releases, what's new independently, yeah. and um, I would find you know I found a cassette of Tech Togo. Are you familiar with Tech Togo? <laughs> no, I'm not. Okay, Tech Tech Togo, Tech's a photographer too, um, but incredible MC producer. Uh, found a cassette, his cassette, and just started finding a bunch of local artists, Sid Swift, uh, the Golden Fleece, incredible artists from here. But nobody knew, you know, there was no traction. They couldn't get shows yeah. or right. anything. And um, I was like, wow, like, you know, and I just knew, like, I was just tuned in with what was happening, and people were. There were artists from Holland, and artists from Kalamazoo, and artists from Muskegon. I knew all of these artists, but they didn't know each other. So I was like, okay, I want to create a pipeline yeah. from Grand Rapids to the industry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to get some of these artists a record deal, get some people put on. And I'm like, I'm going to start a hip-hop coalition, Grand yeah. Rapids Hip-Hop Coalition. Yeah. And this will be the umbrella and everybody can this come. This is what, early 2000s? Yeah, it's 2000, 2001. It was like when I got the idea. Um, and uh, yeah, so that that was the idea, how it started. Um, it was to help use your contacts to connect not just artists together, but... Potential label contract uh, contacts or yeah, industry, yeah, just something. to really bring light to all the talent that was here that that weren't that just weren't getting any shine. Um, yeah, and so I started doing what was called live from the six one six local showcase wealthy theater. Mm -hmm. We started doing that, uh, and then we started just a number of different showcases. Then I started uh, me and a friend of mine started the promoter magazine. Yeah, which is uh, it was kind of Midwest. We distributed it was a statewide magazine, but we distributed it throughout the Midwest of uh, just talent, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Lansing, mm -hmm. um, all over, and just doing that thing and just holding more and more showcases. We started doing showcases in Detroit and other places, giving mm -hmm. artists opportunity to perform and as much opportunity to get out here as possible. Um, and then that just led to me, you know, just like. After seeing all of these artists, I'm like, okay, like they're really building up reps for themselves and, you know, starting to really develop and become confident in themselves and really show some work ethic. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, okay, they need to be recognized. So let's do the hip hop awards. Yeah. So then I did the first Grand Rapids Hip Hop Awards. Yeah. Um, but we, you continue with the, the narrative to me is that you keep, you keep stepping up to this to help organize it I'm, you know you had people helping you but like it sounds like a lot of this stuff wouldn't happen without you being a key ingredient to recognizing well there was a need for these things to yeah. amplify the talent that was here absolutely I mean I I 
I'd seen it. I guess it, it helped because I'd seen it before. I was a part of the first Detroit Hip Hop Awards, yeah. uh, like in 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, it was so. Let me tell this story. Let me take you back yeah. to the 80s. Yeah. So in the 80s, right when I say um, they took us to WGPR and they put our song on the bump it or stump it, we were bumping and stumping against a national record, right? Because there were no really known Detroit hip hop groups, mm-hmm. there weren't. You know, uh, this is we're talking like well, it's still a, like in a vacuum after Motown and kind of like that. There wasn't a resurgence. You know, I think Motown left to go to yeah, LA, LA and then yeah. electronic music started fill yeah, that so, void. Yeah, Detroit yeah. was yeah techno capital, yeah. Yeah. Um, dance music capital. So you had a couple of people left over from the Motown era that kind of made like little disco raps or whatever mm-hmm. uh, sort of thing. But there was no youth yeah, movement. Right. There wasn't uh, an organic something yeah, coming up. Yeah, and so like Robert S. was like the biggest thing in the state because he had this record deal with Epic mm-hmm. and he was just pretty much, his, his, his philosophy, which was genius at the time, was to really control the entire region, which was... Locking down Chicago, locking down Detroit, and being the king kind of, like of the, the Purple Gang again, but of rap music. You know yeah, what I'm like talking about the Purple no, Gang. It's a, they were in Prohibition. They they tried. They worked with Capone. They were a vicious gang in Detroit oh, called that, the Purple Gang. Oh wow! And That's they were running Canadian whiskey and stuff over from Windsor into Detroit. And Capone came over and tried to get a whole bunch of action out of Detroit. And they were so vicious that uh, Capone didn't take it over. That he uh, negotiated with them, uh, and basically the Purple Gang. Anyway, it's a great, great story. That's they they incredible. basically they kept they kept Capone out of Detroit because they were so ruthless and powerful in running booze in the '30s that uh, Capone didn't want to didn't want he didn't want anything with them. That's incredible. I yeah. can, I can guarantee you that that was probably probably inspiration for him. Oh, I guarantee. Uh, yeah, like that's uh, that lore. There's a whole yeah, there's a whole series of like homes on canals with boat houses, and they would run those really fast, like uh, Chris Craft wood boats, yeah. back and forth from uh, from Windsor. Wow, running booze, and then they would do it in the middle of the night, and then they'd go into these boat houses which is basically like a garage on the water, yeah. and you just pull in your boat and pull it down, and right. the cops didn't have a right to come in and search the boat houses. That's incredible. Yeah, but anyway, but kind of the idea of like with, from the music industry is like, let's get talent that's Midwest, Detroit, Chicago, that hub, that access. It makes sense to kind of put those talent together if you're Robert. So to kind of create a region, um, to yeah. kind of create a picture of the region. And so at that time... It was really, like I said, in the state of Michigan, there was Robert S., there was Euro K., there was Ice Van J., there was the new concept, and then in 1989, there was a group called Run, Girl, Run. Hmm. But before 87, um, you know, well, before 88, all of the talent was coming out of Grand Rapids. So when you listen to Detroit radio and they played rap music that wasn't on a national level wasn't sure. mainstream it was all coming out of Grand Rapids no way like literally my partner at that time because we were doing so well he just moved to Detroit 
right? I was still in school. So he moved to Detroit, and he used to call me and tell me all the time, dude, we're huge over here. Like, you should come and see it. You should come check it out, <laughs> right? He, like, they play us on the radio all the time. Like, we, wow. we get played, like, every hour. Like, they play our music all the time. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> and uh, one night, I, I actually went over. I stayed the night at his apartment, and I woke up. I call it now a five heartbeats moment. You know that movie? Five heartbeats. Five heartbeats. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The group. And yeah. yeah. And um, you know, the moment in the in the in the movie where they're asleep but they hear their music on the radio. <laughs> I had that exact same moment. Yeah. I'm laying on his sofa, he's got the radio tuning because he's like, I'm telling you, they're gonna play our our music on the morning drive. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, go to sleep. I'm not thinking anything about it. But I hear recognizable music in my and I'm thinking to myself why is he playing Robert S at you know 7 o'clock in the morning right, right. I'm thinking it's him yeah it's him playing, playing the it. set or something yeah I'm, why is he playing Robert S this early in the morning and it was a song that wasn't uh, wasn't really even popular it was a song called Rolling Stone he did a, a, a rap version of Rolling Stone um, and they were playing that on the morning drive and as I'm coming out of that, they play You're Okay. Hmm. They had a song called Swing It. And they play that. And I'm like, wait a minute. They just play You're Okay. Robert asks, You're Okay. And I'm going to get him to like, hey, wake up. Like, they just played two Grand Rabbits <laughs> records in a row. And by the time he comes out, the announcer said, yeah, we got this group, this cool new group called The New Concept, and they got a new... He played three Grand Rabbits records in a row on a more... I was like, dude, does he know what he just did? Did he do that on purpose? Like, how did that happen? Yeah. Three Grand Rabbits hip-hop records on a morning drive, like, right in a row. It was like... Incredible. This is incredible. Like, we really are running Detroit radio. It's like, <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's amazing. I- incredible experience. Incredible experience. So I, I really feel like we we dropped the ball there because we really had a moment where Grand Rapids Hip Hop was really yeah. at the pinnacle of the state, but we just didn't, you know, we didn't have... Uh, well, it's hard to know how to capitalize. For one, you're you're still in high school. Yeah, we're kids. You know, so yeah. we, that's what I was just yeah. going to say. We didn't have the leadership, yeah. right. you know, where it's or, like... Uh, the, the, and the direct resources to like, you know, decide, okay, my next move is to make sure we're played in Chicago and New York and right, Philadelphia right, and all these places. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, that's a little... I, I, I'll give you a pass <laughs> on that one. <laughs> you're a teenager trying to, you know... But, but that's amazing. But then when you... Um, you start to turn so in the in the mid two thousands then you start to create the coalition you want to have this pipeline it turns into the hip hop awards it turns into all these things to help recognize rap and hip hop in this community and connect uh, up and coming talent to more experienced people like yourself people mm-hmm. who can help develop create this little incubator right um, but at the time. I remember too, uh, you know, there was a lot of backlash against rap and hip hop, and you really looked at it as something that helped save your life creatively and gave you all the things that a lot of people didn't think rap was about right. or it was possible with rap. They just thought it was about hating cops and, you know, <laughs> dealing drugs and driving cars and, right. you know, whatever. Right. 
But what was it? Um, that narrative. I remember at Wealthy Theater there was some controversy about the hip hop awards and and not, maybe it wasn't the theater itself. But I remember. I just remember something. And forgive me for bringing it up if it's not something you want to go to. But anyway, there was some misconception about the hip hop awards and the, the venue or something. Was that I, part of something? I, I don't remember that. Okay, good. Um, <laughs> then it wasn't. Then it didn't maybe happen. it was somebody else. Hmm. Um, that was having I, I never had any of those issues, but I've had to speak up on behalf of people who have had those issues sure. um, in the past. Um, you know, like a, at that point, you know, when I came back, I realized that the lack of education about hip hop culture and that people needed to be educated, even the artists. So, you know, there was a point where. I was just like, okay, like I really want to create opportunity for artists to, you know, get record deals and things of that nature. And I was working on that. I, you know, I flew back and forth presenting different artists to labels and stuff from here. Um, but it just came to a point where I just realized, okay, these people don't relate to hip hop the way I relate to it. You know, it's like it's not the same thing. We're not. Right. Like we're we're not we're not seeing we're not doing the same things here. Like so, we gotta have some alignment. Um, so not only are the venues not understanding what authentic hip hop culture is about, the school system, the city, the you know, just nobody understood even the artists. Yeah. Right. So and when I'm dealing with artists, and it's, you know, it's really just this uh, frail Hollywood thing like I just I want to be famous I want to make money sure. I want to have a lot of jewelry yeah okay no that's not what I'm in this for like that's not right the hip-hop that I relate to you know what I'm saying that's not what saved my life is sure so I, I backed off that and I said okay I I, I changed my lane because I there was so much desire um to, I, I'd been teaching classes, and I had so much, um, I got so much more out of teaching, working with young people, that I saw, like, okay, if you want, you want people to relate to hip-hop and see what you see from hip-hop, and, you know, it's not going to happen with a 20-year-old. It's going to happen with young people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's where, where you ought to be focused. You want to preserve what you love, yeah, the culture that you love, then you need to teach it to young people. Yeah, and so um, I started teaching young people. Like I said, I'm going in the third grade classrooms, fourth grade classrooms, and the kids get it. Like, yeah, yeah like I'm like, okay, I can see it in their eyes that they they see authentic hip hop and they love it. They love the stories. Yeah. they can relate to it. Yeah. Um, you know, and they wanna they wanna be involved for the for the right reasons. It's not yeah. about money. It's not about uh, drugs and you know cars and clothes and that's yeah. that's not it. All right, this is a great point for us to split off this episode. And on that note, with uh, helping kids and youth and how kids get it, uh, uh, get hip hop and the values of hip hop. Uh, is a good place to, to ramp this part one down and uh, phase into part two, which will deal with uh, a lot of great things he's working on right now, especially this documentary about a city within a city here in Grand Rapids. 
And uh, so head over to the episode page or the next episode uh, for part two with Governor Slugwell. I'm just glad you joined us. I, I don't say it enough. I enjoy getting your feedback, your messages on Facebook, your uh, direct emails. You can always email me at brian at briankellyphoto.net. And it's just great to bring you these stories. And uh, it's selfish for me because I, I just love these conversations. I love taking portraits of people and I love sitting down and chatting with them. So to the point that you're along for this ride to this point with this podcast, thank you. Thank you for joining us. And uh, thanks for being a listener and also telling other people about our podcast. So, all right, let's have a great week, everybody. Go get it. The Full Exposure Podcast is brought to you by Metro Health, University of Michigan Health, and Dr. Peter Hahn, in appreciation of the creative and artistic visionaries who enrich our lives through cultural connections.